You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. In McAllen at the convention center, we have the State of the City address by our mayor, Javier Villalobos, and he joins us right now to recap some of the economic data from yesterday. L- let me get the sad s- stuff out of the way, Javier, because, look, I, it was conversation, you know, outside of lunch, and they're on the convention floor, and a lot of us, and no more, I think... Um, I think the group that was probably the most hurt by all this personally and, and you know, they, their heart was broken to, to, to know that we were not going to be landing that big manufacturing facility here in, in McAllen. We were hoping that we would. Things changed. D, D.C. did not help us. Washington did not help us in how they, they shifted all that. So um, I say first congratulations to all the guys at City Hall. Going back to the previous administration, you guys as well, EDC, we were so, so close at chip manufacturing, but the Italians decided to go somewhere else. Can you, in layman's terms, explain how the ball shifted, Mix? I thought this I thought this legislation that was calling on chip manufacturing in our country, I thought, man, that was a sure bet guarantee that we were going to see some of that take place, and we were going to be one of the leading markets for something like that. But something changed in the rules related to the billions that were set aside for all this. So can you... In layman's terms, explain how everything shifted and D.C. did not help us and now everything's going back to China? Actually, I think it was pretty simple. I think there was a little shift in in policy and uh, the necessary incentives that they were looking at was didn't really happen. I mean, what we did over here was uh, it was a tremendous effort by our team. We were ready to go. Unfortunately, things every now and then change and we weren't able to this time. We have another high-tech type of firm with Soho that uh, is loving us and setting up shop and will be opening up to uh, lots of employment. Might that be maybe the cornerstone that we can work from with their friends, their colleagues, uh, maybe their suppliers, and and complement and and expand on that cornerstone for high-tech? Because I know that's the dream for the McAllen area is is high-tech. Oh, definitely. And as a matter of fact, a couple of days ago, uh, actually two days ago, it was Zoho Day here in McAllen. So we had probably about 300 people from all over the world down here at the convention center looking at McAllen at what at what we're doing, at exactly what Zoho's doing. Because it does, it does open up a door of opportunity for other people to realize what McAllen is, that it's not a sleepy little town. Is it, so we're uh, excited about Soho. Hopefully we're going to be groundbreaking pretty soon. Can you describe what Soho does? Is it uh, software only? Is it maybe some light chip manufacturing? What is? What can we expect from Soho? Mr. Chairman, you're, ta- you're asking me to say stuff about technology. I can talk <laughs> about all I can do. Dude, I'm just a lawyer, man. Don't ask me all this, all this technical <laughs> stuff. I just know it's jobs, jobs, jobs in the area. Well, we're grateful for Soho's presence and continued expansion. By when do you think they'll be up and running fully, full throttle, Javi? Uh, w- once they start, it's still going to take uh, uh, probably at least a year for for construction. In fact, they are already running, though. But uh, there are facilities that once uh, they start, will probably take about a year, year or so. And they're going to have some beautiful facilities and hopefully uh, creating a lot of jobs for our we're really for our youth because uh, at my age, just about anybody is, else is, is younger. But we're excited about it. And yeah, no, no, and they are excited about it. You know, to have that event they had, Zoho Day, they usually hold it in Austin, Los Angeles, different places, but not this year. It was right here in the camp. Nice, very nice. 
Javier Villalobos is our mayor in McAllen. Yesterday in McAllen, we celebrated the State of the City Address, and some of the things that uh, Javier was mentioning was that the big lunch, by the way, which I understand was like the biggest ever, right? That was the biggest State of the City lunch, most successful That's one. That's my understanding. Right? The, um, the proceeds from that goes to nonprofits. Can you give me an idea, example of who benefits from all the fundraising that comes from this State of the City address and all these people providing sponsorships and all that? Like we said yesterday, we were very thankful to all the sponsors because uh, in reality, I mean, that's how we pay for the production. And then all proceeds go to local nonprofits. And we're talking about a lot of them during the year. And, you know, we usually try to divide it up and, you know, help out 2500 bucks here, 3000 1000 and it keeps on going till, till we run out. Oh, I and see. Then, so the city puts it into that piggy bank that also gets in, like, block funding or grants uh, for nonprofits, right? Then, and when the well, nonprofits show up? That's the other one. We, we okay. talked about that yesterday, about the eight-point-something million. But, no, that's community development block grant and, and different stuff. The state of the city is, is separate, and that's... And that's another grant program. Account. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. So I was told, uh, well, actually, you told us, I was, I was talking about this with uh, Roy Rodriguez, the city manager, earlier this morning, that someone gave your number to Pete Pete, uh, the transportation chief, Pete Pete, <laughs> booty judge, and he gave you a call for that $20, $25 million grant that the city landed. So tell me about the call, how it went down, and specifically what that money's for, Javi. Oh, certainly. Well, you know what? Like I said, it. I was going down to Mexico. Actually, I was I was asleep when on the phone rang. But no, yeah, it was a uh, transportation secretary, Buttigieg. Uh, no, actually, he was excited himself, telling us about the grant of twenty five million. And remember, we're about to start the construction of the bridge, which is eighty three million. So when we get yeah. that announcement of about twenty five million, we know that we just saved. Yeah. Yeah, on Saldua's bridge expansion, we just saved the taxpayers $25 million. Well, not necessarily taxpayers because it's revenues, uh, that it's an enterprise fund, but still <laughs> the taxpayers get to benefit $25 million sooner. Okay. It, it was an amazing. So have we received good. that money already? It's in the bank to help with the expansion? Uh, my understanding is everything's been taken care of. Once okay. it's needed, boom, there it is. So right. we are at learned process already. You didn't believe uh, Booty Judge when he called you, right? You didn't believe it was him. So, oh, really? Who is this? Who is this? Right? Well, especially especially with good news like that. Okay, okay. So, does anybody normally call you and prank you, punk you? So, that'd be like something somebody oh, yeah. like I would do. Call you. In. You know, I. I, I think I could be tricked, unfortunately, because <laughs> sometimes I know when, whenever it's a number unknown, I usually don't answer, but it's probably going to be from the yeah, governor's office, even, even Mallorca's office and Buttigieg, somebody, or from Washington. So I kind of have to answer, but, you know. Oh, well, good thing you did. Good know. thing you did that. That would well, not yeah, have been a good no. call. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he said, "Well, if he, <laughs> maybe uh, Pete said, if he doesn't answer, I'm going to give it to, uh, I'm going to give it to somebody else." But mercifully, you did. Somebody else, You're right? No, no, he did. Six hundred sixty-one million dollar budget for the city of McAllen. Is it bigger than last year? And what is it going for in general terms? I know it's a lot of different projects. This, this is the biggest ever. But of course, it's going to go down next year because this one includes uh, the bridge project. But we still have, out of 500 and something, what did we have last year? It's, it's a tremendous amount. But we're fortunate that we can generate it and provide the best services you know, to our residents, the best services around. 
And McAllen indeed does provide the best services. You, we have a lot to be proud of, not only in McAllen, but surrounding communities as well. When it comes to quality of life, I was reflecting on this with Bill Stalker yesterday. I bumped into him. God bless him and his family. Um, he's lived a, a long, beautiful, fruitful, uh, very happy life in McAllen as a businessman and one of the small business pillars for the long time. We were reflecting on this, how wonderful it is. I, I, I tell my wife, Delia, we're raising our two boys. They're now 16 and 11. And, and I compare it to other markets where they've called, say, hey, would you, come, would you like to come over here? Would you like to come over here? Can, can you come over here for an interview? Come and I, I just, I find Houston, Dallas, Washington, all these other places, Austin, even San Antonio. I love San Antonio, but I can't imagine living here. I love McAllen. I love the valley. It feels like a little toy city, like a little pretend city where everything is perfectly placed just in the right place. And public safety, quality of life, public safety, uh, we're one of the tops in the nation for that. We continue to be. Isn't that amazing? Despite the fact that we're on the border, we continue to be one of the top places per capita when it comes to a safe place to live. I just, to this day, I still find that amazing. No, it was excellent. Like we stated, gone from number nine to, I believe, six, and then this past year to third safest city in the country. That is a, an, an amazing accomplishment. And, and, of course, I attribute that, that we do have good residents. We have a great police force, and you know, we're law-abiding. So it, it's – and I know <clears throat> incidents will happen, and every time I see something, I just cringe because I want to hopefully one day make it to number one. What are you looking forward to in 2024? What are some of the big projects you and the gang at City Hall are looking forward to? Of course, everybody knows we're going to start uh, filling in the reservoir. Uh, little by little, I think they're through some real hard work. I think that we're going to be able to accomplish something very beautiful in that area. And then, of course, like we also talked about, mixed-use living. We have to. We have to start mixing it up a little bit like we're doing over here. I guess it's going to be the first one here on 10th and, and Auburn, that type of where you have commercial, you have residential, you can have, have it mixed up. You could walk to, to the store, go grab a beard, walking, you know, to help reduce congestion to, and even that's kind of a little more attractive to younger people. And we are little by little, our area is still pretty young, but we keep on creeping up as far as age level. So we got to we got to change it a little bit and and we are i think a community will realize that we have to and then the northern quadrant northwest it's going to start developing like you wouldn't believe the tres lagos area the a &M the areas that what you're talking about tres lagos a and that's area. correct okay that's correct are, are we going to see for example uh, that water retention area near the airport in mcallen that will that go away sometime near future and allow the city so that, to that's, that's the one i'm talking yeah. about that we're hopefully going to start filling pretty soon and once we start filling pretty which we are pretty soon hopefully yeah. uh we're looking at Let's some some development it. uh in the near future okay it'd be nice to get at the convention you know me for the longest time i've been i was asking either steve alanius or uh the previous emperor over mccallan jim darling uh, and we need like a uh, like a go-to destination for families at, at the convention center site would be wonderful. We're still gonna have a lot of acreage out there so that families can go and maybe attract more conventions uh, in the near future. Anything else uh, you want to mention, uh, Mayor? Before I let you go. 
No, just we're very happy that our commission is very, very stable working together and proud that we've been able to reduce the tax rate for three consecutive years and see what happens this year. All right. Thank you, Mayor. Be well, friend. You. Javier Villalobos, our mayor in McAllen. This is The Sergio Show. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Our South Texas Congresswoman, McAllen area Congresswoman Monica de la Cruz is checking in. Let's take care of business real quick on that so called border security bill. Which, can I start by saying, man, how I wish. Number one, not only that we had single-issue legislation, and I know Speaker Johnson would love that. I would love someday in my lifetime to see folks in Congress, the so-called representatives, actually work one issue at a time. But on this so-called border security thing, that anything but that. It's like if, if, it, if you guys can't pass a law up there uh, – to name something properly, right? Just just use the numbers on it. Just give me what House bill this, House bill that, because it's like the real name of it should have been let in 1.8 million illegals yearly and cut a check to Ukraine. That that was probably the, the better name for this thing. But I know you voted against it, and I want to get your thoughts on this boondoggle. Well, you're absolutely correct. In fact, we all want border security. Nobody wants it more than I do. And we actually do have a standalone bill that was passed by the House last year in May called the Secure the Border Act of 2023. That's all it was. A simple document only had border security. It's been sitting on Chuck Schumer's desk for this entire time, what, nine months. And they have done nothing with it. Yeah. Now what the Senate wants to pass is basically a package that has lots of pork in it and only has a small amount of what they call secure the border. But you're absolutely right. It's basically just keep the border open is yeah. what it should be called. It's embarrassing and how some of these top national Democrat leaders can just walk around unscathed, no fear that they will suffer any political fall political consequence as a result of that that's that's part of the problem is that uh, national media leftist media carries the water for all these leftists national party national representation senate at the white house uh, they don't fear because the american people are just woefully misinformed and they're, they're not paying attention to this and forcing you and everybody else to do triple quadruple job to trying to to connect the dots now mallorca's the effort to impeach him that didn't go so well, and it's 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 embarrassing that we have to get somebody out of the hospital with a hospital gown to bring them over and, and to vote, just like the Democrats did to see if we can clear this. Do you know the three Republicans who voted down this effort to impeach Mayorkas in the House? Can you get to them and try to convince them to 
to wake up. I know they're not going after Joe Biden, which they should, but this is a proper step one for this clown that has made a mess of the border under Joe Biden. Well, look, um, I, I can't speak for them. What I can speak to is my vote. And my vote was to impeach Secretary Mayorkas. And my stance has remained firm. Look, he has failed to uphold his oath of office in the Constitution, which is to protect our borders. And he, under the direction of Joe Biden, has failed miserably. Now, Sergio, remember, I'm a businesswoman. And I had an insurance agency for many years. If my sales manager had no sales for the year, they get fired. That's the way the world, the normal world, working America has in place. That is normal. Mayorkas failed at his job. Thus, he should be put out of his job because he is not doing it. It is that simple. In mainstream America, if you don't do your job as a manager at an insurance agency, you get fired. That's the way that the real world works. We deserve the government that we have if we continue to vote stupidly. And after, for example, in the most recent report, 2440 hours in the news cycle, that scathing FBI report, uh, Joe Biden's uh, lack of mental acuity. I mean, uh, how I can't I can't do anything. I can't say anything. I mean, I, if we vote stupidly in November, Lord help us. Uh, we can't survive. I don't think we can survive four more years uh, of having this guy that has. I don't think he has an idea where he is half the time. No, absolutely not. Look, it was it was no breaking news for you or me what the special counsel. Said. We've been seeing his deterioration over the last three years, but even more so now. And it is quite, quite very serious. Um, look, he couldn't even remember when he was vice president. And you're talking about a man that is the most unpopular president in modern history. You know, with all due respect to the, to the presidency position, I believe that this country would be well served if he just retired and starts watching reruns of Madlock. But the guy uh, has got to go. And, you know, it's more than him because, look, many of us are convinced that for the longest time, whether it's Jill and Obama or whoever's behind the scenes, like his handlers, it's the team. And some of these are some of these radicals, uh, environmentalist wacko radicals. Uh, I'll give you an example. Maybe you know we many of us suspect that maybe it's out of uh, retribution, vengeance, and pushback against Texas and and how Greg Abbott's trying to secure the border. LNG, for example, the the administration he personally nixing any new LNG exports. And, man, I know when we heard that, that news come down, man, I know that colleagues, Democrats, Republicans, business people here in South Texas, man, they were all nervous at the Port of Brownsville because we just won that $18.5 billion project and all those jobs and building. Thankfully, we came just under the radar on that one, but I know they're gunning for them. I know Joe Biden and the radicals beneath him, the environmentalist wackos, they're gunning for them. Just like we see a shift in policy here around in McAllen, they're heartbroken because they lost a, like a billion, $2 billion project for chip manufacturing, complement solar manufacturing, and they're all going back to China. It's those people who need to go, who work against America and our communities. Right now, we're blossoming as an economy here in South Texas, working against our best interests. Look, the bottom line is, is that the Biden administration, but the Democrat Party 
is against energy, oil, and gas. Period. Yeah, those national Period. people are nuts. Yeah, absolutely. And the and the Democrat Party down here in South Texas needs to wake up and start seeing that their national party is working against their businesses, against their incomes, and against hardworking families that work in the oil and gas industry. And they need to wake up and start voting Republican, vote to save their family, vote to bring down inflation, and most of all, to bring jobs back to America. That's the only thing that's going to wake up the national leadership and the Democrats is for our conservatives, our business people, or folks who, by tradition, they vote Democrat. And they're, uh, they might be, they might feel that they're relegated to the sidelines because they don't have a voice in the national party. It's for them to, 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 to switch, to change. And say enough is enough. No, um, you don't represent my values. You don't represent my businesses. You don't represent us in an era of prosperity for South Texas. When they, if and when enough of them change, I think eventually, maybe I don't want them to, but maybe they'll wake up over at National Democrat HQ and start listening to their constituency. Uh, anything else, Congresswoman? Before I let you go. Well, I just want to tell you, thank you for having me on today and being able to update to our community. I'm working hard in Washington, D.C. I ask your um, listeners to please follow my page, get on my newsletter so that they can receive weekly and daily updates on what I'm doing in Washington, D.C. So they can just go to Rep. Monica De La Cruz, Google it, and get on my newsletter. Congresswoman, South Texas Congresswoman Monica De La Cruz. Be safe, friend. This is The Sergio Show. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. The COVID-19 disruptions to everything from the economy to school, politics, social, you know, work, all that stuff. Yeah, the, the ripple effect of, to that is mental health uh, negatively uh, aff- affected when it comes to our kids. Let me bring in someone who's watching this day to day from an organization, a nonprofit organization called Grammy, which means Getting Real About Mental Illness. Adina Payton joining me. Where are you, Adina? Where, where, where do you work at? I'm in Huntsville, Alabama. And okay. um, I, three years ago in November, right after the pandemic had been going for four or five months, my son, who was 41, in a mental health crisis, crawled on top of a roof and had a three-and-a-half-hour standoff with the police that ended with him being shot 16 times. Oh, my goodness. So I was, you know, living my life, doing my thing. He was, you know, and then this all happened during the pandemic. So once it happens to you that you lose somebody, you start paying attention to the to what's happening. And so that's what got me involved, and I started realizing that first responders were traumatized just like I was, and so I started trying to get 
our first responders some private mental health help okay so that they could function better what is your website it is grammyus.org g a g r a m i u s dot o r g which stands for getting real about mental, mental illness. illness yeah mm-hmm. adina payton has this nonprofit organization helping first responders how how do you address mental health issues and stress with them well what we do is we're one trying to destigmatize it so we're you know we're talking about it and what we do is we allow them to go to private mental health providers of their choice they nobody has to know about it except the person our treasurer that pays their bill so they have insurance but it's always attached you know if it's law enforcement they're not going to say i have a mental health issue because they will pull their gun and sideline them so it's like the military was we've created something where they can't really say you know i've seen 12 dead bodies and you know my son was shot by seven officers he had 16 bullets those seven officers had to go home to their family and get back up the next day and go to work you you can't do the brain will not you know it's it's ptsd so i tried to find a way that i could help them and then that would help all of us one-third of young adults 18 to 25 are said to suffer from mental illness highest level in our country when it comes to adults why do you think that is adina i think it is when society turned more toward let's do our own thing we had the video games we had the social media and everybody just fragmented and kind of isolated and and nobody was paying attention and people need to find connection and i think that younger people um find it wherever they can get it and it's out there um, and it's not always healthy getting real about mental illness nonprofit director adina payton my guest almost six in ten of young adults say that they lack meaning or purpose in their lives sounds to me like that's a spiritual crisis miss payton well it definitely is i'm glad you brought that up without that spiritual connection you know how would they have purpose and then if they're in it you know we talk like every family has resources and the ability to help their children but some people are just barely making it they don't know how to go find mental health help for their child and my kid had been suffering for so many years it wears you down you know you want to help them but they may not have the money they don't know where to go um we found in our town that the the places that were helping mental mentally ill people weren't talking to each other and we've got people on the spectrum you know that are dual um you know we may have an alcoholic that is also mentally ill or we have somebody with autism that also is bipolar and so we're trying to bring that together so that everybody's talking to each other and nothing gets missed but but without a concerted effort to pay attention to it it just it just falls through the cracks and then the police are having to arrest people or take them off the street because they're out on the street because their parents or 
society can't handle that. We don't have the resources or the mental health providers. So I'm hoping that more people are, you know, are, that we would start steering people and incentivizing them to get their degree in mental health because you can't just magically say to a parent that hadn't been paying attention, you know, just be a better parent. But you can ask them to make a commitment every day for 10 minutes to pay attention. Just ask your children what they're doing and when they give you a, a bad answer, keep going. Just keep after it and let them know that, that you're there. I asked you about well, I mentioned the whole spiritual void. Do you work with churches? Do you work with counselors, pastors? Well, I'm a you? Christian. Um, I, and this, see, this happened in 2020. So for a year, I was basically fighting for accountability and transparency. So I wasn't popular. And then the second year, when I realized that my, my spiritual journey was to, this all happened, you know, it's showing how much need we have for this group of people. So my drive is about that. Um, we've been a nonprofit for one year, and we've already been able to send some law enforcement to, to crisis intervention training. So it's all kind of working together. But I think without the spiritual connection, people are just kind of lost. And they're trying, they're grabbing, um, they're dra grabbing medication. Yep. They're trying to look for a quick response, and it's a, it's a spiritual problem. Yep. That's a domino effect. Yeah. We, once you go, yes, sir. Extracurricular pharmaceutical. Yeah. That opens us a whole can of demons. Well, I I pray for your success, you and your group trying to address this, especially with first responders, Miss Adina. Thank you for your time today. With, yes, sir. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. With getting real about mental illness. Look him up. Miss Adina Payton. This is the Sergio Show. Anyone suffering from asthma or you have a family member that suffers with that or maybe other respiratory issues, you're likely very familiar with Singular, Montelukast, for example, 25-year-old medication. Now, back in 2020, I understand that the FDA responded to several years of concerns about this common drug for asthma and allergies. They developed one of their more, more potent tools, a stark warning, they said, they put on this medication, they put on, on the label, that it could cause aggression, agitation, and even suicidal thought. Clinical researcher Mary Blake is my guest. And when I saw this, of course, I tagged it because I have a cystic fibrosis boy, and Monolukas was very common when he was younger at a much smaller dose. And when he started having bad dreams... The CF clinic says, pull it. He doesn't need it. He's not going to take it. So I want to get your thoughts on this very common, decades-old medication for breathing issues. And if it's if there's so much concern surrounding it, and considering the fact that we have new medications, why is, this, why is something like this still on the market, Mary? Hi, yes. That's a great question. And um, first of all, thanks for having me on today. So um, the FDA issued a, what's called a black label on the Montelukast, otherwise known as Singular, as you stated earlier. Um, and what a black label is basically is a, a disclaimer or warning of a serious adverse reactions or symptoms. That being said, it's not necessarily 
a um, how uh, like a surgeon's general warning. Um, what it's saying is you really need to have a serious conversation about the drug with your physician um, or your primary care physician or specialist. Um, in the case specifically of the singular monthly test, I, I think they're still gathering some data following 2020 because there was just so much, uh, so many other things going on around that time. Um, but it seems like it does for a very small uh, amount of the population that uses it has that type of anxiety, depression uh, type symptom. And so for that, it would be best to use something different, a different type of medication. If we do have other medications, I still wonder why we have something like this on market. Is it is it cost then? Is it because it's common and it's more affordable or why do you think? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so, and honestly, I'm not, um, I, I don't have all of those details as to, you know, why. I think that, so once, as a clinical researcher, let me back up, excuse me. As a clinical researcher, part of what we do is we audit these clinical trial drugs as they are going through, uh, going through the different stages, rather, to ensure that they're safe and um, um, effective. So if it is an asthma drug, we want to see that it's safe and we want to see that it's actually helping resolve the asthma symptoms um, or whatever the disease, uh, the therapeutic indication that they're looking into. A lot of times, once they complete these trials, eight years to 10 years have passed by, and so they still have sufficient evidence that is safe enough yeah. and that it is effective oh. enough. And so it's on the market, and it's still a drug that is, you know, something that's orderable because in their opinion, the benefit still outweighs the risk. That's true. Yeah, because of the overwhelming majority of people that might benefit from it. Yeah, And children, by the way, mm -hmm. are the ones that are red flagged when it comes to this singular and Montelukas and how uh, a small number of them react, which was my son. I tell you why those bad dreams right. went away as, as soon as we pulled that medicine. You as a clinical research researcher, you're on the front lines of introducing, helping to introduce new medications in the pipeline. But now that a medication's been in the market for 25 plus years, for example, my, my son's incident and other kids and what they went through, do those reports from frontline doctors, primary care providers, and specialists, do those reports make it back to another database to show how, you know, maybe some of this medication might be leading to negative effects and then help researchers and uh, clinical researchers make better decisions on Absolutely. It, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So even though drugs are approved, they can um, be taken off the shelf. Um, I think we've heard of, I want to say it was Prilosect um, or Zantac 75. I remember there was late night commercials and it'll say, have you ever taken this drug? You may be entitled to a lawsuit. Zantac, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, it was Zantac, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to my point, um, all, all the time, physicians, part of their role is to continuously gather this data, and when they start noticing trends, they're supposed to and they're obligated to report this information. Now that these uh, more serious side effects 
are associated with singular uh, physicians and allergenists of really needing to track those uh, those data points so that uh, when they're sending their information in to the regulatory agencies who are supposed to keep track of those things, if they come to a conclusion where the benefits no longer outweigh those risks, yeah. then yes, absolutely, they well, would have an obligation to pull it. Otherwise, um, a lawsuit would be appropriate. Ten four. Well, I'll tell you what, they're going to have a big enough database to make a, an assessment uh, based on 2022 numbers. I understand in this medical report. Uh, over one and a half million kids took this Singular and Monolucast in oh, 2022. Wow. So, yeah, they'll have enough data to make more decisions in the near future. Mary, thank you. And uh, we'll call again clinical researcher Mary Blake. This is The Sergio Show. KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Dr. Bruce Herman with a story that never seems to go away. Now, here in South Texas, people, I know you hear uh, from time to time, we've got a, a blood shortage emergency. We might have to stop some of the uh, elective surgeries. And, the problem, it, it just never seems to go away. I, I noticed that friends up in North Texas and some colleagues, and in fact, their website for their radio station, showing blood shortage emergency for, for North Texas. Dr. Bruce Herman is from that uh, area of Texas, up in North Texas. So why is it worse now than before, would you say, Dr. Herman? Well, over the past 20 years, the Red Cross has reported that donations have fallen about 40%. And so where we're at now is that the number of donations that the Red Cross receives just barely meets the demands for blood in the Oof. healthcare system. So when you have issues such as over the holidays where there was really bad weather across the United States and the blood donation drives can't happen, then they can fall into a shortage. And that's where we're at now where we're behind about 7,000 units. So yeah, it's a big problem with the hospitals because uh, we use blood for multiple things. People always think of trauma, which is definitely one of the big uses for blood, but also for major surgeries, for people who have complications during pregnancy, delivery, cancer patients, those with chronic diseases. So when we get a blood shortage, the system starts to slow down a bit. Do you think perhaps a solution to this might be to start paying people a little bit for their donation, you know, much like the, these plasma places. We'll pay you 40 bucks to come yep. in, you know, tap your arm and give us, uh, we'll take your plasma, all that. And then they walk away with some cash. And those places always seem to be busy. <laughs> be pretty busy. Right? Yeah. And full. I'm wondering uh, maybe I mean, we need to change that. We may get to that point. Uh, so far, the Red Cross has been able to keep up for the most part. But of course, there are times when things slow down. And uh, you know, people have kind of wondered why has the blood donations dropped? And it's interesting. One of the things that's been kind of attributed to that is the pandemic. 
Nowadays, there's much more people working from home. And so when they do these blood donation drives, there's not as many people milling about at workplaces and out and about. And so they think that that definitely has been one of the uh, issues. But yeah, as far as how to solve it, I'll leave that up to the Red Cross. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure yeah. if I'm the person to ask about that. But, uh, but yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, I guess if you could put some money out there, then people definitely would respond. Yeah, ER uh, trauma surgeon, Dr. Bruce Herman from North Texas. Yeah, blood shortage. It's chronic, people, and right now we're looking at some pretty bad numbers uh, across the state of Texas. But it's more than the Red Cross, Doc. we got other private companies. I think uh, one of the private companies for blood donations is Vitalant, I think. That's the name around here. There's probably some others mm-hmm. as, as well. Uh, and that pool of all these different nonprofits, it's barely enough to meet the demand right now. In the event of a true emergency like some big catastrophe, oh, God forbid, uh, we would need, like, volunteers to stand in line for hours probably to provide uh, and and replenish the blood, right? We're at that point right now. Yeah. And it's important to know that every time a person donates blood, that potentially can save up to three lives. When you go to the Red Cross to donate, they take whole blood. That whole blood is then converted into packed red blood cells, which is what we usually give when people need blood cells. But you also get plasma out of it which can be turned into cryoprecipitate for people who have clotting factor disorders. And we also get the platelets out of it for people who have platelet disorders. So it's a good idea to go out there and donate whole blood if you can at all possible. Uh, it can save up to three lives per person. And, uh, you know, right now there is that shortage. So if you see any of those donation drives going on and you have the time, then we could definitely use it. This might not be your bailiwick, but I'm, I'm still asking you because, you know, you're on sure. the front lines of medicine. How is it screened for pathogens or viruses or yeah. just bad stuff, all the blood? Yeah, I mean, it, it starts with doing a good history on patients that sometimes will pick up concerns that might be there with the blood, with previous diseases. But that is, exposures. we rely they, on the I'm honesty sorry. of the donor, though, the donor and the <laughs> right, questioning, yeah. right? That's all we have, yeah, right? totally. Okay. Yeah, so, well, then there is the screening of the blood, which is very common to look for the most common pathogens that possibly could get through. And, you know, that's always a concern that people have when they're receiving blood, but the processes in place are very, very good. And and certainly you can't say that every once in a a long while something might slip through, but for the most part, our blood supply is is very, very safe. The screening of the blood is by sample, right? It's, It's not every single pouch is tested and screened, right? Uh, I'd have to go through okay. the, the protocols for the Red Cross. I don't want to misspeak and, and say Understood. That, Understood. the wrong thing. What's the um, shelf life, Doc? I, Do you know what, what the shelf life is yeah, for, for sure. a little baggie? Absolutely. So uh, it's about uh, two months for, for stored blood that we can keep. It's six to eight weeks uh, is kind of the lifespan on that. Okay. So. Uh, you know, we do have the ability to bank blood for a month and a half to two months. Uh, but the average American can donate every two months. So, uh, there is that ability to replenish it quickly for those who like to get out there and and donate blood and potentially save a life. Trauma surgeon, uh, ER specialist, Dr. Bruce Herman from North Texas, who should not donate blood? So there are restrictions on people who have certain chronic diseases or certain chronic infections. There is a restriction on weight. Uh, The Red Cross likes people to be at least 100 to 110 pounds to give blood. So those are the major uh, restrictions for who can and cannot donate. And that means that about 40% of Americans are eligible to donate blood. 
Unfortunately, we only see about 2% of the population doing it. And I get it. People are busy and they have their lives, but it is very important. It's critical to us in the healthcare field to have blood available because when it's not, things start to slow down. We have to start canceling major surgeries. So mm-hmm. it is a big deal. It's not just something that you, you hear about on the news and, and it doesn't actually have a profound effect on our healthcare. Brother, system. is this a Texas thing or is this like nationwide that we see these, these shortages? It's, it's nationwide. You know, it's, it's something where... Uh, like, for example, over the holidays when they had that bad weather in multiple cities, uh, the blood drives had to be canceled. And so, uh, you know, it throws us to a shortage uh, everywhere. I mean, certainly some areas can be more affected based on you know, local issues, but, but this is a nationwide effect. Thank you, Dr. Bruce. Good speaking with you. We'll call you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Take ER care. ER specialist trauma surgeon, Dr. Bruce Herman. This is The Sergio Show.